evening, Element City Church. My name is Kimberly Lee, and I am so excited to be here tonight. We are in part two of the parenting series. Now, don't worry. Don't freak out if you're like, I don't have kids, because this, this topic that we're talking about tonight, it applies to everybody because it's about relationships. Specifically, it's about how do you help your kids or other people in your life grow in their relationship with God. So while I will focus on parent, on parenting, it applies to everyone in this room. Because one of our main purposes in life, one of the reasons we were created was to go and make disciples, to help make followers of Jesus, to help others become more like Jesus. So I challenge you to think about how these godly principles apply to your life, whether you have kids or not. For those of you who do not know, Brian and I have three teenagers. We have an almost 18-year-old, a 15-year-old, and an almost 14-year-old. Surprise, I have, I'm dressed. So, and they really like the almost, don't they? Because, you know, when you're younger, you always want to be older. You know, I'm almost 18, I'm almost 21. And then you get older, and I... I don't want to play that game anymore. I don't go like I'm almost 47 or I'm almost 50. We just, it becomes irrelevant. So yes, we had the three kids really close together. We had three kids under four. And there were most days, it was all about survival. It was, there were many a time when they were all three in diapers that I would sit in the middle of the floor and just sob, thinking, I cannot do this. My house smells like poop. My husband is at work, and I don't, I, I'm out, I'm out. I mean, of course, and so if my prayer by the end of the day was if that everybody was alive, then it was a win. That was a win. And I need every, you guys to hear loud and clear. Brian and I do not think that we've got this parenting thing down. We do not think we're super parents, that we're the parents that do everything right or we're just so awesome at it or because their dad's a pastor that we have these magical parenting powers that they, you know, started memorizing scriptures right out of the womb. That is not the case, especially if you hang out with us for any length of time. In fact, the argument could be made that Brian's job has sometimes made this parenting gig a lot harder. It, it, we have to live our life out in public a lot of the times. And we usually lose the Parenting of the Year Award by January, first week of January even. And Brian and I, we can be slackers in this area. Like I said, for so many years, it was about survival. Sometimes survival of the fittest, and it definitely wasn't me. Like with Lawson, we'll just share you, I'll share with one of my parenting failures. Lawson's our youngest, and when he was two, we let him watch Scooby-Doo with his older siblings. Now, the older two, we never would allow them to watch it. But I was tired, they were persistent, and he won. So one of Lawson's first words after mom and dad was Chickenstein. Chickenstein, let me show you a picture of Chickenstein. I, he was two, folks, two. Chickenstein. So he, all, he went around all the day, mommy, daddy, chicken stein, chicken stein, chicken stein. Th that is a scary, who, he was two. That was a parenting fail, that that was one of his first words. 
And Brian and I, we have many, many, and I mean many more parenting mishaps or mistakes, if you will. That's because like Jack shared last week, parenting is hard and everybody's journey is different. And just like for adults, what works for one child, what works for one person does not work for the other. If I had one kid and whatever worked for her worked for the other two, it would be so much easier. But that's not how this works. So tonight, it's not gonna be about shame. God does not want us to leave here feeling defeated. We are not going to compare Oh, they did that, or we didn't do this, or oh, we're not going to do that. God does not want us to compare. He doesn't want us to create cookie-cutter kids or cookie-cutter church people. So we're, the coulda, shoulda, would'ves, we're not going to live in shame with that. Because there's nothing that we have done or messed up so bad. There's nothing that we could do, because our God is a big, big God. He's bigger than our mess-ups. The cross is bigger than our parenting mistakes. Many of us in this room love Jesus in spite of our parents. Amen. So do not think for one minute that God's grace, his mercy, and his love cannot cover your family. In fact, we're not going to think it's too late. Sometimes when you look at teenagers and we talk to teenagers, you think, oh, God. I'm too late. It's never too late with Jesus. So I'm going to rebuke those thoughts right now. Because in Romans 15, 13, it says that God is a God of hope. He is a God of hope. He's not a God of hope if you do everything right. He's not a God of hope if you do everything wrong. It just said he is a God of hope. So those are the truths that we're going to claim tonight. And all over Psalms, it talks about God's faithfulness and his unfailing love. He's not a God of shame. I'm also not here tonight to give you a quick fix. A lot of us, we like to focus on the immediate problem. Kimberly, tell me right now, how do I get her to stop talking back? I have no idea. How do I get him to stop lying or how, that for them to stop fighting or for them to do, clean up their, their room or, or do their chores or to believe in God? You cannot duct tape or patch up some of the broken parts in, in five days. There's no special formula or checklist or how-to-dos because it's much deeper than that. It's much, much deeper than that. God is in this for the long game. He doesn't want his children wrapped up in pretty little bows. He doesn't care who has the best Christmas pictures, you know, their, their family pictures on the cards that people send out. And he's certainly not going to greet us in heaven with our Facebook profile or Instagram or the Snapchatty or whatever that is. He's not going to greet us and say, oh, girl, look at all those likes you have. Good job. Or pat you on the back for how many sports you have your kids signed up for or musical instruments you play or the grades they got or the schools they went to or the family vacations you took, or whatever else we love putting on social media. God wants more than that. 
So the verses that we're going to look at tonight are in Deuteronomy. We're going Old Testament. So Deuteronomy, if you have your Bibles or the YouVersion app, it's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And I am going to be reading out of the NLT version. If you want to, because if you have your version, you can change the verses. Now these are famous verses for Jewish people. It's called the Shema. And they were supposed to recite these at least two to three times a day. So you know that this is kind of a big deal. And this is Moses talking to them. And Moses was like the guru during this time. So verse 4. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It starts off with listen or hear this, pay attention. This is important because God first and foremost wants his people to know him. That's what he said. This Lord is our God. He is the one true God, no other, and he is Lord alone. That's what he wants us to know first. And he wants his people to love him with everything. He doesn't want our faith to be just a once a week kind of thing. Went to church on Sunday, check. Listened to Kimberly about Jesus, check. And then we put Jesus in our pocket and we're done for the rest of the week. He wants our faith to be every day of the week, a part of us. He also doesn't want our faith to be the on and off kind of faith. On, off on, off, when it's convenient. Oh yeah, I don't want Jesus to be paying attention to this, off. Here's a little hint, he knows anyway. He knows anyway, we can't hide it. He also doesn't want our faith to be fair weather. You're only gonna pay attention to him when things are really good, or you're only gonna pay attention to him when things are really bad. God is saying, I want you to love me with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and with all your strength. It was to be a total commitment. Ooh, and with some of us who have a commitment problem, that's hard. Our relationship with God is one of the most vital, significant, and important relationships that we will ever have. And yet some of us still have this on and off switch with him. Go down to verse six, go down to verse six. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I give you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. There's a theme there. Not only does God want us to know him, he wants us to commit to him wholeheartedly. He wants us to live out our faith with our kids, and he wants us to live out our faith with others. He's saying he wants us to accept and embrace these commandments. Because his commands are perfect. They're boundaries. They're guardrails to keep us safe and for us to know him. These commands are not just about intellectual interest or good information. Ooh, that sounds great. 
It's not external or on the outside. In verse six, it says God wants us to love him and know him wholeheartedly. From your heart, not just from your mind. So if this was the case in the Old Testament where Deuteronomy is, before the coming of Jesus, how much more significant and important is this now that Jesus has come? Wholeheartedly. Because your faith, it should be personal. And it should be real. Your faith must change your everyday life and how you live it. One of the most important ways you can help your children grow in their relationship with Christ or to help others grow in their relationship with Christ is to live out a real faith and live it consistently. To live out a real faith and live it consistently. You cannot pass on to your children or to other people what you do not possess. Religiosity, it, it won't work. Because it's gotta be, you gotta be walking with God on a heart level. This is not a book of rules. We have to teach our kids and other people. It's a, it's a book of relationship. This is a book of relationship. Our children must see evidence in our life that we are fully committed to loving Jesus with all our heart. That we love him more than money. That we love him more than our career. That we love him more than what the world has to offer. That we even love him more than we love them. Our kids are not meant to be our everything. Because if you make your kids your everything right now, they will grow up and think the re everything revolves around them. And that is painful. They must see that we desire to please God with everything we are. Our faith must be personal, it must be real, and it must be from the heart. And... We have to live it consistently. Kids and other people are always watching. Especially if you're a first, you have a firstborn girl. They are always watching. You know, when kids are younger, they'll listen to your words for the most part. Especially if you say it in a loud, kind of mean mom voice. They'll listen. But as they get older, as they get older, they're gonna, go, they're gonna see and look for if your actions match up with your words. The same with adults. You might get them to listen to you in the beginning, but if your life does not reflect what's coming out of your mouth, you cause confusion and you lose credibility. You cause confusion and you lose credibility. Your actions must back up your words. Some of you are sitting here right now freaking out. Oh my gosh, she must be talking to me. On the way here, I just got, had road rage and you should have heard what I said with my kids in the car. For those of you, I totally yelled at my son right before I got here to talk about parenting. 
Totally yelled at him. So, you know, you're thinking, I can't do this. I'm doing this wrong. I'm not good enough. I struggle with being real. I don't know what being totally committed looks like. I don't know how to be consistent, but I try really hard. Remember, God does not want you to leave here with shame. It's not about perfection because that doesn't exist. In fact, in Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, all, even the ones who pretend. It's all. Because God is not a God of perfection for us. He wants us to make progress, next steps. Are you letting God change your life today more than you let him change it yesterday or last month? Are you letting him change your mind, your heart, your relationships, your purpose, your community? Are, are you letting him change your heart? My son had a friend over the other day and his friend asked him, how do you know God is real? How do you know God exists? Landon's response was, I can only tell you what the experience of my own life was. I can only tell you how much God loves me and what he's done in my life. And I can tell you what I have seen at church. There are people at church whose lives are drastically changed and they can only do that if there was a God. Their life could only be changed if Jesus was involved. And that is how I know God exists. He's 15. He sees whose life is changed, including Brian and I. We have to live out a real faith and we have to live it consistently. but not perfect, but not perfect. That's really important, especially for you firstborns who are like, oh, I just wanna get an A. I wanna check up all the boxes. Is he changing your life more today than yesterday? Let's look, read verses seven through nine again. Repeat them again and again to your children. That sounds familiar. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and we're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. How many things do you have to repeat to your kids over and over and over? Let me ask you a better question. How many things do they get on the first time? I heard a very big laugh over there. Brush your teeth, buckle your seat, comb your hair, clean your room, look both ways for crossing the street. Don't hit your brother, don't argue with your sister. The list goes on and on. As parents, we sound like a broken record. What we tell our four-year-old is the same thing we have to tell our 14-year-old and all the years in between. It's the same. She says amen back there. But how many times does God have to repeat the same stuff for us? I mean, let's be real. Some of us are a lot slower than others. 
He probably feels like a broken record. But he doesn't say, I have told them this like a hundred times. I am over this. I'm out. Oh my gosh, why can't they get this? Look at all I have done for you. You know what? I'm taking that Jesus back. I'm taking him back because you guys aren't getting it. God doesn't talk like that because he knows to learn something, especially this big, is going to take a lifetime. That is why verses seven or nine are saying, it's not a one-time thing. You've gotta repeat them again and again and again. You can't expect your kids just to go to Sunday school, to VBS, to pray at dinner time and bedtime and be like, whew, we, we did it. Or that if you're, you're, your dad's a pastor or you go to Christian school, that you get a free pass. It does not work that way for kids or adults. It does not work that Coming to church, although I love that you're here, is not enough. It is not enough. Because we are responsible for knowing who God is and knowing what his word is about. And for teaching ourselves, for teaching our kids, and for teaching others. Our relationship with God and our children's relationship with God needs to be a priority. That's why in the verses it says it needs to be part of your home. They say it over your gates and over your doors. It needs to be part of your home and not just on a cute little Hobby Lobby thing that you got hanging up the wall that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's gotta be where our kids, I do love Hobby Lobby though, it's gotta be where our kids and other people see us living out our faith consistently. Consistently. And in our homes. When people walk through your front door, they're gonna be able to tell if it's a Holy Spirit home or not. It doesn't have to be a big house. It doesn't have to be clean. And it doesn't have to be, be perfectly decorated. But it does need to have the Holy Spirit there. When our daughter, Lakin, was born, ooh, I hope I can get through this story. She was our first. And when I was holding her in my arms right after she was born, I looked down at her and her eyebrows, she had these perfect eyebrows and they went straight up and she looked at me and I looked at her and her eyebrows went up and if you know Lakin, this is so true, it was basically, she looked at me and it was like, so I, here I am, what are you gonna do with me? And my first, thought, my first thought was, I have no idea. I have no idea what I'm going to do. And then as I looked into her eyes, I thought, oh my God, gosh, I love this kid so much. Instantaneously. And she had done nothing but be, sit on my bladder for nine months. <laughs> she had done nothing, good or bad. I loved her because she was mine. And I remember holding her and looking in her eyes and thinking, 
two things. One, I will never lie to you. I was lied to my entire life. I will never lie to you, and I haven't. She's about ready to turn 18. The second thing was, I will die for you. I will die for you. And I will spend the rest of my life loving and protecting you. You guys, love and sacrifice are an important part of this story. Love is said over 500 times in the Bible. It's important. In fact, in 1 John 4a, it says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. And in John 3, 16, it says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting love. That is love. He gave his son to die on the cross for a bunch of people who, who don't really care. That is love. In order for your child to grow in their relationship with God, in order for the other people in your life to grow in their relationship with God, you have to learn how to love well. Love deeply, without strings. Because the greatest commandment is love God, love others. He's serious about this. We must show them love. When our kids were little, when they were upset or when they did something wrong, we'd get down by their beds and we'd say, there's nothing you can do to make me love you more and there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. And you're like, ooh, that's cool. Where'd you guys get that? It's from the Bible. But this is the other side. When they come home with straight A's, when they come home with an award, we say the same thing to me, to them. There is nothing you can do to make us love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make us love you less. Because we have to teach our kids this over and over and over again, wholeheartedly. Our love for our kids and for other people cannot be based on behavior. Because you don't want to be judged by that same stick. Our love for kids or others cannot be based on behavior. Love doesn't come with an approval box. Because God doesn't love like that. If God is love and God's love is perfect and we are supposed to reflect him, then our love cannot be conditional. His love is not conditional. It's not, his love is not something that changes. It doesn't ebb and flow. It doesn't stop and start. His love is unfailing. All over Psalms, it says his love endures forever. And one of my favorite verses, because I need this, because I'm a hot mess, is in Romans 8 where it says, nothing, and if you are here right now, I need you to hear this. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. 
Do your kids know this? Do you know this? You gotta know this from the depths of your soul. That love is not based on how your behavior. If you jump through all the right hoops, if you say all the right stuff, because it is by grace you have been saved. It is not by your works. It is not by your power. It is not by you trying really hard. It is by grace and God's love that you are saved. You must teach your kids that. Otherwise, every time they let you down, they're gonna think they let God down. I remember putting Landon to bed. Brian was working that night. He's got tears in his eyes. He's five years old, and he says to me, Mama, I'm really upset. And I was like, okay, your dad's not here. I'm exhausted, but I got this. And I said, what is it, son? He said, I try, and I try every day to be like Jesus, and I fail, and I'm upset about it, Mom. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, your dad's not here, and I have nothing to say to that. What do you tell a five-year-old who says with tears in his eyes, I just want to be like Jesus more and more? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I just want to survive today and keep you and Lawson alive. Kids, they're watching. And they can intake much more than you think. One of my favorite songs right now is Reckless Love. I'm not going to sing it. Thank you, Dan. Thank you. <laughs> he believes in me. But I'm going to read part of the chorus. It talks about God's overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. How God's love will chase you down. God's love will chase you down. Fight till you're found and leave the 99. You don't earn it. You can't deserve it. And he still will give you his love. There's no shadow he won't light up. Mountain he won't climb up coming after me. And when I think of that, I think about, I will do anything for my kid. I will even die for her. And God feels that way a hundred times. And he's saying that. And that's what the love of God is. That's what we need to believe. And that's what we need to teach our kids wholeheartedly. Because what we're gonna tell them is, you know what? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And God loves the 99. He loves his church people. But he is coming after that one. He is coming after the one who has wandered off. He is going to come after the rebellious son and the rebellious daughter because he loves them that much. He loves his church, but he will come after that one. And when the, the, the son and daughter come home and they're rebellious and they have just lived a life of terrible behavior, he doesn't go, yeah, I told you so. He's gonna throw open his arms. He's gonna throw a robe on them and give them, say, let's celebrate, let's have a feast. My son and daughter have come home. They were lost and now they are found. That should be good news, folks. Not just for your kids or for your teenagers. It should be, it should, it's good news for you. 
It is good news for the people in your home, for the people in your life, for your family, the ones you work with. For many of you sitting in these seats, that's good news. He is coming after the one who wanders off. At the end of the day, we need to look our kids in the eye and say, I'm an imperfect parent. I have made a lot of mistakes. I sometimes have not reflected Jesus well to you, and I need to ask for forgiveness. But please know, despite all my parenting mess-ups, God is a big God, and he loves you no matter what. And he will continue to come after you. And I will spend the rest of my life, I will spend the rest of my life Lakin, Landon, and Lawson. And you fill in your kids' names. You fill in your mom's name or your dad's name or your friend's name or your husband's name. I will spend the rest of my life praying that God reveals himself to you and shows you how much he loves you. Because God's love is unending and it's not conditional on your behavior. Live out a faith, a real faith, and love well. And the last thing, pray intentionally. Pray intentionally. Prayer is the most powerful weapon we have. It is the most powerful weapon we have. This prayer, intentional prayer, is what is going to win this war for your kid's heart, mind, and soul, for your husband's heart, mind, and soul. You draw a line in the sand of prayer, and you say, you know what, enemy? You are not going to get the territory that God has promised victory. You are not gonna take my family, you are not gonna take my marriage, and you are not gonna take my kids. Because my God has promised victory. And even if one of them wanders, God is gonna go after them. Because this fight in Ephesians 6, it says this fight is not against flesh and blood. It is not against the person sitting next to you. It is not against your mom or your dad. It is not against whoever you have ill will against or you're mad about. It is not against your children. This fight is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, against the spiritual forces. It is not against each other. And in verse 16, 18, it says, and pray and pray on all occasions and, for, and asking for everything. Pray scripture over people. Pray scripture over your kids. Intentional scripture. I, my sister said, well, how do I know if it's the right one? All of the Bible is right. So just pick something. All of the Bible is right. You can't go, oh no, I picked the wrong verse for them. It's gonna be good no matter what, it's the Bible. Start somewhere. Speak life over your kids. Speak life over each other. When they come home and they feel unworthy because they didn't get that award or they didn't get the, the, 
the grades that they wanted, or they did not pass the test, or they did not get into the school they wanted to, or they got made fun of on the playground. Speak life over them. Speak truth. Your identity does not lie in if you have a boyfriend or girlfriend. Your identity does not lie in that grade. Your identity does not lie what school you go to. Your identity is in Christ alone. And you have to tell your kids that over and over and over again. You have to tell yourself that in the mirror over and over and over again. Brian I's identity does not lie in Element City Church. Although this is important to us, at the end of the day, who we are belongs in Christ. And that's what we have to teach our kids and others. Our, this war will be won on our knees in prayer. Do not think any, uh, you, can't, you can't bribe them to Jesus. You can't push them to Jesus. All you can, my kids are in church. When they get older, they don't have to come just to Elements because it's a part of what we do. Not to impress you guys. It's a part of what we do because it's a part of what we believe because Jesus is part of our DNA. They're still gonna have to choose to make Jesus their own, a real faith. They're still gonna have to choose. So live out your faith, a real faith. Love well and pray intentionally. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, you have to know that God is in control. God is in control. You take too much credit for your parenting successes and you beat yourself up way too much, much for your parenting failures because God is in control. So when I, I look at my kids when they sleep because God does something amazing. When kids sleep, they're beautiful. They're just beautiful, one, because they're not talking. <laughs> and two, because they actually look like angels. They look like angels. It's God's little gift to you at the end of a day, and, and, and you can look down at them and you say, God, I trust you with everything in my life, but I struggle trusting you with my kids. Do you know how much I love them? Do you know that they are, part, they are a big part of my world? And he says, yes, Kimberly, I've got some idea because I created them. And you have to know that I am in control. We, at the end of the day, we must hand over our children, our teenagers, our husbands, our wives, fill in the blank, over to God, a sovereign and almighty God. And say, they're yours. And know without a shadow of a doubt that he loves them no matter what, and that he has a plan and a purpose for their life.
He has a plan and a purpose for their life. That's what's so amazing. Live out a real faith. Love well. Pray intentionally and know that God's got this. And as we go to communion tonight, we do communion a little bit differently. We have it, it's, we don't pass it out. It's at it, it, the, the two sides in the back and two in the front. I want you right now as we go into communion, I want you to start the prayers right now. I want you to, whoever is on your heart, whoever God's laying on your heart, and maybe it's for yourself. And literally start praying for these types of things, praying for their heart, praying for their soul, praying for God to reveal themselves to your children, for your coworker. Praying for a real faith and that you will know how much, they will know how much God loves them. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you tonight, Lord, and, and with great expectation. Lord, we just say, like, we gotta trust you, and that's really, really hard. And Lord, I'm gonna claim Proverbs 3, five through six, where it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Lord, direct our path. Lord, we are crying out to bring your wayward children home, to bring that wayward person in our life home. And Lord, help us to love well. Help us to live out our faith. Help us to be consistent. Lord, you know, you know where our heart is. And Holy Spirit, I am asking that you come in and just pierce the darkness. I am claiming victory in our marriages and in our lives and in our church and in the hearts and minds of our children. In your son's most precious, precious name, amen.